This is a, this is a critical chapter uh, in, in the book of Philippians. I mean, they're all good. Last, last, uh, last month, we've been in chapter 2, which was exceptional. And uh, so we're going to begin chapter 3. And I'm just going to take a little bite this morning, just three verses. And uh, that may be a, a little bit frustrating because I think most, uh, most of you probably consider the meat to be coming later on. Uh, but I don't want to overlook what Paul says in these first three verses. I think that it is uh, worth our time and attention this morning. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verse 1 through 3. So here we go. Let's read our text. <clears throat> Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your your word this morning. And God, we ask that you would lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would uh, open our minds to see uh, your glory. And Lord, that you would create in our hearts, stir up in our hearts an, an affection, a boasting, a bragging, a, uh, a delight in you. And God, I pray that we would be radically Christ-centered in all that we do. Father, lead us through this text and lead us through this morning, I pray, uh, just for the work of your Spirit in our lives today. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, uh, one of the most dis- maybe disturbing uh, uh, things for me to consider is that most of the population of the world, I, I can't remember how many people are in the world, but most of the population of the world uh, believes in God. Now, I know there are lots of folks who say they're atheists and lots, you know, and, but, but really not lots when you consider the entire population of the world. Uh, the, the truth is most people would say they believe in God. Most people would go a step further and say they believe in an afterlife. And most people for what that, and what they mean by that is they believe in some kind of heaven, some kind of paradise, some kind of better place is what you'll You'll hear most people just talking about generically a better place. He's going to a better place. There's a better place coming. So, so, so consider those two facts that most of the population believes in God. Most of the population believes in an afterlife or some kind of heaven. And most people believe, the who believe in an afterlife or a heaven, believe that they're going to go there. Uh, now, factor that in with passages, uh, I don't know, like Matthew 7, where Jesus says that narrow is the gate and few are those who find it. And, and there are lots of passages like that in the Bible. Now, when you hold those two those two things up that that that's disturbing to me it's disturbing to me to, to realize that that what the implication of that is is that multitudes of people around the globe are deceived about the the most important thing really we, we could say the only thing that really matters for their existence okay they're deceived about And because of that, what you're going to find embedded in the scriptures over and over and over, and we have one right here before us today, is a definition of what it means to be a true believer, okay? So that's really what Paul's doing here. Paul is nailing down, this is what it means to be genuine. This is what it means to be genuinely connected to God. The real thing, okay? had to have a have a have a relationship a faith relationship with Jesus Christ that sa- is saving all right um <clears throat> i don't believe that god wants us to be uh deceived about that okay 
Uh, I just told you that there are multitudes of people that, that are deceived about that. I, I believe that that's true. But, but God's plan for you is not for you to be in doubt. His, his plan for you is not for you to be deceived. In, in 1 John 5, 13, it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? Um, the, the Bible says that in many different forms that, that God's plan is for you to know. Uh, he doesn't want you to be fuzzy about this. He doesn't want you to be... Um, um, in doubt, he doesn't want you to kind of give it your best shot. You know, that, that, how, how horrible is that to think, you know, all of eternity rides on, well, I think this is right, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the right way. Uh, man, that's not God's plan at all. God's plan is for you to be rock solid in your assurance that, 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 that you are connected to Jesus Christ. What that means and that you indeed can know that you are connected to Jesus Christ. Now, on the other side of that, the devil's primary tool, uh, the Bible tells us, is to deceive. Okay, And, and the, the, the means, the primary means that he does that is through what I would call imitation Christianity. Okay, When, when you look <coughs> just around our country, <coughs> around the world... What you see is, is lots of imitation Christianity. You, you have the gospel, and then you have all kinds of things that have a shade of the gospel in it. All right? And, and you have entire churches, denominations, cults, uh, religions that, that, that have all, uh, a shade of the gospel, but not the gospel. And, and, and you can see the devil's hand in that. And so what the Bible is going to do over and over again is going to give you the real thing, okay? Because the Bible wants you to be able to spot the counterfeit. And, and so Paul, is what he's doing here is, is giving us the real thing. Notice in, in chapter 3, verse 1, he anticipates that they're, they're going to be a little frustrated about this. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. You know, you can almost, you know, he, you know, here, here Paul's wheels turn and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to give him the gospel. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go to great lengths to clarify this is the gospel. And there's going to be lots of folks who are like, we know the gospel. Come on, Paul. And Paul's like, well, well, that's fine. It's no trouble for me to say it again. And it's really safe for you to hear it again and again. And so in that spirit, that, that's what we're going to do today. And, and actually, if you're a believer today, you know, to, to, to review what it means to be in the gospel is, is absolute joy, all right? It's what Paul says. It's not trouble for us. In fact, in fact, I think repeating for ourselves the gospel is a very healthy thing to do. I was, I was with a, somebody this week, and, and they were struggling with identity and, and lots of things that were kind of coming from that. And I, I said, man, I'll tell you, what, what you need to do is you need to appropriate the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself every day. And, and they were like, what does that mean, appropriate the gospel? And, and really what I mean by that is, is I, what I don't mean is get saved every day. No, no, no not that at all, okay? I, I think that's really unhealthy. People who, you know, it's like every Sunday I'm asking Jesus in my heart, you know, there, there's something probably a little wrong with that. Um, there, there's, there's some assurance problems there. That's not what I mean by appropriate the gospel. What I mean by appropriate the gospel is kind of picture me waking up this morning and, and, and just as I wake up saying, you know what, <laughs> Jason, same thing's true of you today that was yesterday. You're a broken sinner. You're damaged goods. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect, righteous life. And by his grace, as you come to, to put your trust in him, he has placed his righteousness into your account. He, you are righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. Your sins are all covered and paid because of the blood of Christ for you. And now he lives a resurrection life to which you are connected. Okay, what, what, you see what I'm doing? I'm just appropriating the gospel. This is what's true of me. I, I'm a sinner 
Christ is awesome. I'm connected to him. He's the one who saves. I'm just appropriating my position in the world, okay? My position according to God and, and everything else. I'm orienting myself, all right? It's like, yeah, you ever, you ever fly into a city? This drives me crazy. My wife does not care at all about this, but I mean, it literally, like, I, I'm disturbed about it. If I fly in somewhere and I can't tell which way north is, that's the way it is in, in the northeast a lot. I flew in, I was in Cleveland for a week one, 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 uh, one winter, and I never saw the sun one time the entire week and man i just was like lost because i had no i kept asking him which way is the lake you know because I, I knew i knew kind of on a map okay the lake is 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 east of us you know and so that helped me a little bit at least to kind of try to find my bearings all right well that's that's kind of you know appropriating the gospel is kind of finding your north okay it's just like okay here, here's here's the way things work i'm a sinner christ died for me you know his righteousness put in my account i desperately need him I, i'm living by faith in his resurrection life Okay, so, so, so that's really what Paul is doing for us today is he's helping us to, to appropriate the gospel, to, to kind of get our bearings, to review the gospel. And he says, this is safe for you. Why is this safe for you? Because the stakes are too high for you to be wrong on this. I mean, do you get that? You can be wrong in a whole lot of things and be just fine. You know, you can be wrong in the stock market. It's okay, big deal. You're going to lose a bunch, you know, and try again. You can be, you can be wrong on your job. You can be wrong on, <clears throat> on your sports team. You can, be, you can be wrong in all kinds of things, and it really there's, it doesn't matter that much, okay? But, man, you can't be wrong on this, church. We can't be wrong on this. We've got to be rock solid on this. And, and, and when we look through the Scriptures, we see bunches of, of evidence that lots of people are wrong in, in, in this area. You know, I was just kind of looking through the Scriptures in, in Matthew chapter 3. You know, John the Baptist, these guys come forward for baptism. And, and John just, just, like, hits them with this. He says, Matthew 3, 7 and 8. He says, uh, when the Pharisees and Sadducees came for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Basically, John's saying, guys, you don't have it. You know, you, your life doesn't match what you're professing. There's an entire parable in, in the New Testament, Matthew 13. It's in Mark as well. I can't remember where it's at in Mark. But it's a parable of the sowers. Remember that? The, the, the seed, you know, the soils. It's a parable of the soils, actually. And there, there's like the hard soil, and then there's the, the rocky soil, and the weedy soil, and then there's the good soil. You know, and the sower comes, and it's the Word of God, and the Word of God goes into all the, the, the soil. And the rocky man, nothing happens. The birds come, steal it away. It's a kind of evidence of, of Satan stealing away the Word out of people's lives and then and then in the in the shallow soil it comes up i mean he, here's the thing about this parable several of these soils they come up right? there, there, there's some initial evidence of life but then there's no fruit you know in in, in, in the rocky soil there, there's not enough depth there's not a depth of of commitment and faith and, and in the in the weedy soil there's all these things that, that they never repent of and get out of their life and it chokes out the word and, and there's only one of those four soils that actually bears fruit and Jesus has given us a message here that, look, lots of people are confused about this. James chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. says, you believe in God, uh, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And so James is kind of hitting at those folks that are, are, that are like, hey, you know, I, I believe in God. Yes, you know, just like I believe in George Washington and the Statue of Liberty. You know, I believe they exist. And, and James is saying, man, the demons believe that. You know, that, that's, not, that's not saving faith. 
Uh, Matthew 7, 21, probably one of the scariest passages in the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many of my works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You hear that? I never knew you. You, you were never one of mine. You were never connected in faith to me. And here's these folks that they've, they've done stuff. You know, they, they've, they've, they've been religious. They've gone to services. They've helped out. They've had positions. And Jesus says, I never knew. You were never connected to me. 1 John 2, lots of stuff in 1 John actually. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. It says, and by this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. First uh, John uh, 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I mean, there's this constant check and balance in the scriptures saying, make sure your life looks like this. Make sure your heart looks like this. Make sure this is the real deal in you. And so, so maybe, maybe it might be helpful this morning if we just kind of categorize two big deceptions that we see going on in the Scriptures, okay? The first one you see is, is basically, how would we describe this? Basically that you can have like a religious experience without a change of life. And that that's genuine salvation. And the Bible says, no, it's not. We just looked at, at James 2, where it says, you know, you, you, you say, I believe that God is one. You believe in God. And, and yet you've got no evidence in your life. And, and the Bible says, you don't have him. You know, if, if you've got Christ, if you're connected to Jesus, then, then the Bible tells us, remember in Philippians 2, we, we talked about sanctification, we talked about this, this line of salvation. When you're saved, you know, God justifies you and he adopts you into his family and he gives you his spirit, all right? Now, the spirit of God living in you is going to do something, okay? It's going to come out in fruit. It's going to come out in, in a change of affection and a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life. I mean, again, progressively, yes, okay? Some faster than others, more than others, you know, sometimes our rebellion affects all of that. But, but here's the deal. You're going to bear fruit. There's going to be a progression of righteousness in your life. And, and John, John the, the first John tells us, man, if you don't see that, you need to be nervous about, about your connection to Christ or repenting of your sin. Something's wrong. Get it right. And then the second one, which is really what Paul's dealing with here, is, is that it's kind of the opposite, actually. Is that being outwardly moral proves that you are a genuine believer. This is the most popular religion in Oklahoma, by the way. Um, most popular religion in Oklahoma is be a good person. Um, I know that because... By far, when I ask people about, tell me about, you know, your just spiritual life. What do you believe? You know, tell me what you believe. Tell me, you know, you think you're okay with God. And by far, the most popular answer is, I'm a good person. And, and, and a lot of times, they'll add sincerity to that. You know, I sincerely try to do what is right. And, and, and that's what they're banking on for eternity. And, and Man, that's exactly what Paul is hitting at here is, is no, no, no. That you, cannot, you cannot be right with God by your own righteousness, by kind of mustering up your own strength and saying, man, I'm a disciplined person. I'm a hard worker. You know, I'm going to gut it out. I'm going to do the right thing and, and think, okay, God's going to be happy with that. God's going to be pleased with that. No, not at all. And there's multitudes of evidence in the, in, in the Bible against that. The rich young ruler, remember that guy? He comes to Jesus. He's got a stellar life. I mean, he's like, yeah, you know, I've, 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 I've kept the commandments. You know, I'm a, I mean, he's a good guy. He comes to Jesus politely, respectfully. 
And Jesus basically tells him, man, turn your back on all that and get connected to me. And he won't do it. Judas, I mean, think about this, Judas. I mean, Judas is with the right people. He's associated with the right guy. I mean, he's one of 12, you know? I mean, he's saying the right things. He's serving the right way. But man, his heart was not right with God. He had an outward form of religion, okay? But, but, but he was not right with Christ. And so here's what Paul does. He says in verse 3, For we are the real circumcision. Okay, we are the real circumcision who, and then he gives us three things. And, I, and that's what I want to go over with you today, is these three characteristics. And really, they're almost kind of one, three parts of one here. But, but, but we are the real, now, now, first of all, you're like, okay, hold on, you just lost me. We are the real circumcision. What does that mean? This, this, this passage, when I read it, some of you had to be thinking, okay, man, things have been going great in Philippians, but what are we doing today? You know, dogs, mutilators, and circumcision. That's what we're talking about today at church, you know. A discussion ought to be fun at lunch table for those of you who have little kids. You can explain and unpack all this. Um, but what, what, what are they talking about? Well, circumcision was the outward sign of the covenant in the Old Testament, right? If you remember way back in Genesis when God appears to Abraham and said, man, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And he says in Genesis 17, 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. There's lots of imagery there that I, I, I actually don't even want to talk about. We don't have time to talk about the, the, the circumcision is. But basically just think of it this way. It was the outward sign of the covenant with God. It was God's covenant people, okay? They were the ones who were circumcised. They were... They had this covenant with God. But, but even, even then, even in the Old Testament, it was meant to be a, a sign of something on the inside. It's kind of, kind of like baptism is for us. Ba- baptism is, is an incredibly important sacrament in our church. But, but it's an outward sign of something that's inward. Okay? And, and if you go through the motions to be baptized, okay, the actual dunking in the water does nothing. Okay? I mean, it, it, it doesn't save you. It doesn't change your heart. It, it doesn't... It washes you. If you come in really dirty, you might get a little washed, all right? But that, that's it, all right? It's bath, all right? But, but, but it has incredible significance if it is a public symbol of your connection to Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, okay? That's what it ought to be. What it ought to be is you saying, guys, I have put my faith in Christ. I've given my, I've been joined to Jesus, and the old me is dead and buried, and the new me is raised up to live a new life, and this is a public symbol of that. And in the same way, that's what circumcision was meant to be, is an outward symbol of of a covenant with God. But even in the Old Testament, listen to how God talks about um, the circumcision of heart. Deuteronomy 10, (coughs) 16 says, (coughs) circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Now, by the way, your heart doesn't have foreskin, okay? I mean, he's using an image here. He's using a metaphor here. He's in your heart. Something needs to happen in your heart and be no longer stubborn. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, 30 verse 6, he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul uh, and that you may live. I mean, there's, there's the heart of what God wants there. And, you know, the, 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 it was just an outward mark, but something's got to change in, in the heart, okay? Now, Paul is using this imagery because he is, he is targeting these, these false teachers in verse 2. Notice verse 2. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, listen, Paul's a gracious guy. If you, if you know much about Paul, he's a gracious guy. He's a forgiving guy. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were, we were talking about the church. Remember that, that passage in 2 Timothy where everybody lets him down, you know? Every, everybody abandons him in his time of need, 2 Timothy 4. You know, he's at his trial. Nobody shows up, you know? And he's just like, may God not hold it against him. Hey, when are you guys going to come see me, you know? I mean, I mean he's, a, he's a gracious guy. He's a forgiving guy. But man, as you read verse 2, man, you see he's got no patience at all for people who distort the gospel. Okay? He calls them, first of all, dogs. Now, now again, you, you got to get the kind of the mindset of the Bible here. The, the Jewish people would call Gentiles that. In fact, you, you find this uh, most interesting passage in the New Testament concerning this is um, where the, the lady comes up to Jesus and she's wanting him to heal her daughter, I believe it is. And, and uh, Jesus is like ignoring her. And you're like, what's going on? You know, why is he ignoring her? The disciples are like, get away, get, get back, you know. And she, she's like from another country. She's not a Jew. And they're trying to shoo her away. And Jesus is ignoring her. And she just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And, and, and finally, you know, she, she's asking, she's pleading with Jesus, please, you know, you, you can do this. You can heal my daughter. And, and Jesus is like, hey, is it right to give, you know, the, the children's bread to the dogs? Remember that? And again, I think Jesus is totally speaking tongue-in-cheek here. I think him and her have already kind of had a, a little eye contact or something. And because and she comes right back at him and she's like, but Lord, even the little dogs eat the scraps off the, off the children's table. You know, and Jesus is like, yes, you know, what faith? And he heals the lady and he's just like excited. But, but, but do, you, do you see, I mean, he, he's, he's talking to her as the other Jewish people would talk to her. And so Paul is kind of reversing that and saying, you know, to, to these folks who are distorting the gospel. And by the way, they, they were Jewish people who, who had sort of come to Christ, that sort of kind of embraced Christianity. But theirs was a Jesus plus gospel. Okay, it was a it was a Jesus plus. It was like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, you can you can come to God. You just got to come to Jesus and you got to be circumcised. Because you, you got to be a Jew first, and you you got to obey all the rituals, and you got to obey, and, and then come to Jesus, and then you can be. It was a Jesus plus gospel, and man, so Paul turns it right around. And he says, "You know, you guys are the dogs. You know, you guys are the ones that are outside the covenant. You guys are the ones that are separated from God." And by the way, you know, we're not dealing with this. You know, I, I, I doubt anybody has you know challenged you to be circumcised or even checked. You know, lately, uh, that, that's not that's not our issue today. But listen. Jesus plus gospels are rampant in America, okay? You find that everywhere. You, you find that, you know, people will be like, you, you bet, oh, you know, what do you need to be saved? We need to, you need to accept Jesus in your heart and, and, and you need to dress this way, do this thing, be here, be in this church, be in this, you know, we're the only ones. You got to be, you know, no, no, no. Man, Paul has no patience for that. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. What's that about? Well, basically what he's saying is, look, guys, if you're thinking your circumcision gets you into heaven, then all you're really doing is having a surgery for nothing. You're just, you're just mutilating your body because it has, it has no benefit. It has no benefit at all. Colossians 2.11. Um, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Paul says, you know what the new circumcision is? The new circumcision is when I embrace Jesus Christ, I, I, I don't put off just a piece of flesh. I put off my entire old nature, okay? I dump it all. I dump, the old me, I, I dump it all. I, I turn my back on it. I try to kill it. 
I try to, I, I, I try to put it off. I mean, that's, that's the imagery of, of the New Testament. And so Paul's attacking these people who are distorting the gospel. And now, verse 3, he's given us basically, here, here's the characteristic of the true believers of God. So verse 3, we are the real circumcision who... Okay, everybody, is everybody with me? Are we are we okay? This this is one of the sermons where I struggled. Lots of imagery, and I'm thinking, how much do I unpack? Is everybody are, are we are we are we good? That here's where we're at. We're saying, okay, Paul is about to tell us these are the marks of a genuine believer. Okay, not all of them. First John gives us some others, but but these are the ones Paul gives us. Okay, I love this one. I love this one. Are you ready? Verse three. We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Who worship by the Spirit of God. Believers, true believers, listen, are worshipers, all right? They're, they're worshipers of God, all right? And, and notice, he's very, he's very specific here. He, he, he says, worshipers in spirit, okay? We worship the God, we worship by the Spirit of God. Or it could actually be in the Spirit of God. We're, that could be either way. <clears throat> it doesn't really matter. Um, the Spirit of God creates worship in the true believer. There's a, there's a great passage in Romans 8. Uh, Romans eight fifteen says, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Oh, remember, remember, remember last month? We, salvation, what happens upon salvation? You're adopted into the family of God and you're given the spirit, okay? And, and, and remember, the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit comes into you, okay, what, what, what's going to happen? We'll go to verse 15. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. What's one of the results of the Holy Spirit coming into your life? Man, he stirs up in you an affection for God. Abba was daddy. That's daddy in, in Aramaic. Okay, it was, it, was the, it was the term of endearment and affection and relationship. Okay? Who, who, who calls me daddy? There's, there's, only, there's only five people in the world that call me daddy. Anybody else that's weird, it's strange, you're... Calling the cops, you know, it's, it's, it's not right, okay? But, but there's five people who, when they call me daddy, it, 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 it's, it's sweet. You know what's sweet? Because it, it, it describes a relationship that we have, a special relationship of affection and love and, and forever, okay? That's what the Holy Spirit does in you, okay? Believers are worshipers because they worship by the Spirit and the Spirit... Spirit creates in them, stirs up in them this, this affection for Christ. Now, <clears throat> there's another place in the Bible where, and I think this will help clarify, where, uh, where, where Jesus talks about this worship in the Spirit, uh, Spirit and truth. And it's in John 4. In John 4, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at the well. And uh, she is doing the typical thing that lost people do. I, I did this lots when people would talk to me about Christ. We, we divert the attention off of our broken selves and on to something else. And usually religion is the topic, okay? Usually it's like, well, hey, what do you think about Baptists and Catholics? What do you think about Presbyterians? What do you think about, you know, Muslims? You know, I mean, everybody always, you know, they, nobody ever wants to talk about, I'm a broken sinner who's in desperate need of Jesus, okay? No, no, no. When, when you're lost, you know what you want to talk about? You want to you divert the attention 
being away from yourself. That's what she's doing. And, and so she asked Jesus this question, okay? Je- Jesus kind of gets right personal when, when, he, when, he, when he says, hey, go call your husband. Tell, tell him to come here. And the, the gal's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. You've had five. And the, the guy you're with now is not your husband. And all of a sudden she realizes, I'm in trouble. I got to get the attention off of me here and on to something else. And so she asks a theological question or a, a worship question. Verse 20 of John 4, she said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So basically her question is, where, where should we worship? Where? Okay, now, that is, that is the question of somebody who doesn't understand worship. Okay? That's the question of somebody who, who has religion but not a relationship with Christ. Because it's not about where is the right place to worship. You see, in her mind, hey, we got to go do it. We, we, we got to go get it done. Where, where's the right place? Do we go, do we go to Jerusalem or we go to, do we go to the Samaritan mountain? You know, where, where's the right place to go? It's not about that. It's not about that at all. Here's what Jesus says. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, uh, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, it's not about the place you go. It's not about the clothes you wear. It's not about the, the particular song you sing. It's not about whether you have drums or an organ. Man, do you see how people still get messed up with this? You know, I mean, how many churches make a huge deal out of what instrument we play? It's not about that. Not about that at all. It's about worshiping in spirit and truth. What, what exactly does that mean? Well, the spirit, the spirit leads us into truth, okay? Uh, the spirit leads us into truth. And, and what is truth? Well, truth is, is that Jesus is better than anything, okay? That's what this Bible says. That's what the whole thing is written about, is to reveal to you the glory of the Son of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. The truth that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you is that Jesus is the bread of life, that he's the fountain of living waters, that that he's the treasure worth giving everything for. The Bible is going to reveal to you, the Spirit is going to reveal to you that Jesus is is glorious in power and in love and in mercy and in wisdom and in joy. Do Do you see what's happening? The Spirit of God reveals to you, he reveals to you, the glory of Jesus, the awesomeness of Jesus. And how do you respond as a believer? Worship. You see, that's what a believer does. A believer's like, Jesus is awesome. I, 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 we, we become worshipers. If you don't have that, you're not a believer. Okay? All you have to have is legs to, to come and sit in a... a yeah, you don't even have to have legs. Wheelchair. We'll come pick you up. Oh, you have to have very minimal, okay? Very minimal. Just some kind of desire to come here and we'll, you know, somebody will come get you. We got a wheelchair, but we'll bring you. And, and, and if your idea of I'm getting to heaven because I come and gut it out while that guy talks forever, okay? That's not worship. It's not worship. That doesn't say, that doesn't speak good things about your heart. If your idea is, I just got to go do this religious thing. You know, what, what, what do I got to do? Be baptized? Okay, I'll be baptized. I don't care. I like to swim. You know, come on, I'll do that. What else do I got to do? Be a member? Okay, whatever. You know, no, no, no. I, I mean, true worship is the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. Again, this is by its worship by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals to you the truth about Jesus, the awesomeness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, and your heart responds, yes, Jesus, that's worship. It's, that's what it is. 
There's an element of joy in worship. Notice chapter 3, verse 1, which we're not going to tarry here because actually in chapter 4, we're going to hit an entire sermon, maybe a couple, on on the joy of believers. In chapter 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. So we're going to save save the whole sermon on joy for chapter 4. But listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Why, Why does he say that before he talks about the gospel? You know why? Because Christians are rejoicers. Okay? I mean, how do you not rejoice? When, when, when you hear the glory of Jesus, when you hear that Jesus is the best thing ever, when you hear that he is, he is maxed out in every good thing, everything that you desire, adventure, love, mercy, grace, power, uh, freedom, um, whatever it is, satisfaction. All right? Jesus is pegged out to the max on all of those. He's the best of all things. Jesus is glorious. And not only is he glorious, but he's coming after you. He loves you. He pursues you. Even though you're a sinner, even though you've rebelled against him, he still comes after you. He comes after you because he loves you. And he wants, to, he wants to shower his grace on you forever and pay for your sins and do all the work for you. And put righteousness in your account and save you forever and change your heart and make you holy and give you power over sin. How can you be sad about that? How can you be indifferent about that? How, how can that be no big deal? I mean, Paul is saying, man, the the real circumcision are those who worship by the Spirit of God. Christians are are servants and and, and they obey the Father. You know why? Out of worship. You You know why Christians obey? Because we're convinced Jesus is awesome. Man, he doesn't lie. He's right. He's got the truth. Man, Christians serve. Why? Because Jesus is the best thing. Because he's awesome. And we, and we want to be a part of what he's doing. We want to be with him. It always cracks me up. Like people will, like uh, win a win a ticket to be a you know ball boy at, at their favorite you know team. And I'm like, okay, you, you just won work, you know. But but it's not for them. It's like man, I get to put on a uniform and go out and chase foul balls, you know, for the Cardinals. Awesome, you know, or whoever else, whatever. Michelle likes Cardinals. I keep putting a Cubs baseball on her desk and it really gets her. You know, I didn't even know where it came from. Someone just left it at the church, but now I, I, I find ways to get it on her desk and she loves it. She like cleans it and hates it. <clears throat> but but why, why are those people, why are, they, why, are they, why are they pumped up about that? You know why? Because they just want to be a part of it. I just want to be a part of this, you know? Some of you guys, if, if, if man, you got a call from NASCAR and say, hey man, we need someone to, change tires down in the pits, you know, you'd be like, yes, you know, I'm quitting my job, you know, I mean, just to be there, you know, and be down in the pit and wear, wear the coveralls, you know, some, you got to admit, some of you guys, you'd be, you'd be running now, you know, I mean, that'd be awesome, right? Just to be a part of, why do Christians serve? Man, we just want to be a part. I just want to be a part of God's mission. Man, can I be a part of that? Well, it's out of joy. What brings you here today? That's a good question. Now, again, here is really inconsequential to some degree. Um, it's not the only place you worship. Hopefully, you're going to be worshiping at lunch as you maybe eat lunch with some friends and encourage their faith. And hopefully, you're worshiping this afternoon as you serve your spouse or, you know, for Jesus' name. Hopefully, you're worshiping tonight as you brag on Jesus and some Bible stories to your kids before you put them to bed. I mean, hopefully, you're worshiping everywhere, but... I mean, we did come here. That's what this is about, right? I mean, you know, this is about, where, hey, guys, we're going to come together. We're going to worship Jesus together. So let me ask you, what, 
what brought you here? For, for many years of my life, it was duty, obligation, pressure from my parents. Um, sometimes actually being drug, you know. Uh, not drugged, but like drug, you know. My mom wasn't that zealous. <clears throat> um, what brought you here? Or do you come because, man, you're convinced Jesus is glorious. He's the best thing. I want, I want to honor him. I want to, I want to know about him. I want to be with him. Paul says, we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Number two, and glory in Christ Jesus. All these are really close to the same, but we're going to go ahead and get their particular nuances. The word glory is a word that you could also translate boast. Okay? Um, and, and, and I like that because... Because you know what Christians do? Christians brag on Jesus. Christians boast in Jesus. And, and, and listen, we're built to boast in something. Have you noticed that? I mean, people will always brag, boast, celebrate something. Something, right? I mean, it could be classic cars. It could be video games. It could be hunting big game, sports teams, entertainers. I mean, people are going to talk loudly about something, they're going to get excited about something. They're going to brag on something. Steve and Rochelle just got back from vacation. They went to Rocky Mountain National Park. I knew that. So like before they're going, I'm like, you got to go here. and You got to go here. This is an awesome trail. Then this first time I've seen them since they've been back. Well, this first thing I said to Stephen, how was it, man? You know, I mean, we're built that way, right? We do that by nature. We, we brag on stuff, you know. We wear our sports team stuff. Jake's Oklahoma University right there. It's all his family has is red, you know. All the Abrams family have is orange. Troy's got his OSU. I mean, I, we're, nobody tells us to do that. We're built that way. We're built, we're built to worship. We're built to brag. We're built to boast. We're built to celebrate things. And here's what Paul's saying. We're the real circumcision who glory in Christ. We glory in Christ Jesus. We talk loudly about Jesus. We, we just can't stop talking about him, you know? I mean, hopefully not rudely. Hopefully not, you know, insensitively. Hopefully not weirdly, you know? We, I mean, that's better than nothing, actually. I'd rather have the weird Christian than the not Christian, okay? But, but hopefully we have some tact, you know? But, but, but man, we just, we just bring the conversation around. I mean, if we're talking about buying a new car in the house, you know, conversation eventually gets to, man, what does Jesus think about this? Let's pray. Let's ask him. We want to do what he wants. We don't want to buy this if he don't want to buy it. You know, I mean, we, we could be talking about politics or economy or raising kids or summer vacation. And Jesus always gets mixed in there. We always come back around to Jesus. We have this proud confidence in Jesus. We are people who glory in Christ Jesus. We boast in Christ Jesus. Let me give you some scriptural backing for that. 1 Corinthians one thirty one. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts... Boast in the Lord, even way back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 9, 23. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Man, God has been telling us this all along. Man, what, what, do, you, what do you get pumped up about? What do you get excited about? What do you brag about? What, do you, what are you proud of? The believer is proud of Jesus. 
Thirdly, again, verse 3. So, real circumcision, worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus. And number three, put no confidence in the flesh. What's your flesh? Your flesh is, is not your skin. Um, when the Bible talks about flesh in, in this context, it is your old, unredeemed humanness, okay? It's the old you. Uh, it's the old you. It's who you were before Jesus. If you're not a Christian here today, then that's all you are. Is you're, 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 you're just you. This is you as you came out of the womb, right? It's, it's your natural man without the Spirit of God. And, and Paul says, look, we, we, don't, we don't glory. We don't we put, we'll put any confidence in, 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 in us. And here's a pray, prayer I pray all the time. Lord, I can't do anything. I can't do anything good without you. If you don't help me, nothing good's going to happen. I pray that all the time. I pray that before I come up to preach. God, I can't do anything. I'll just ramble. They'll be bored and they'll leave. Unless you do something. Unless you use me. Unless you speak. Unless you intervene. Because I got nothing. God, you got to do it. John 15. I'm trying to give you lots of scriptural backing for this. This is a, the vine and the vine <coughs> dresser. It's the, paro, it's the Jesus metaphor for basically he's the vine and we're the branches connected to him. And if you're not, if you're not connected, if you're not drawing life from Jesus, then nothing's happening. Okay? You're, you're a dead branch. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, you can't, you can't break a branch off your apple tree and go put it underneath your pillow. And hopefully, you know, a couple mornings later... Apple, you know, just pick it off. It doesn't work. Uh, you, you break it off the tree, it's dead. It's, it's di- it's, there's no life in it. Now, there are dead branches on trees. Have you ever seen that? You know, yeah, there is. And they, they look like they're part of the tree, but they're a dead branch. That, that's the one Jesus is talking about where he says, you know, Father's going to prune. He, if you're dead, if you're not, if there's no life coming from, from the vine into you, coming from Jesus into you then there's going to come a day you're going to be broken off and, and cast into the fire. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Probably a passage you're very familiar with. <clears throat> For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. Nobody. You can't, you can't, you can't boast. I have this awkward thing that happens to me in counseling a lot, <laughs> a lot. And I think it just happens because people that come in, their lives are usually in a state of crisis, trouble, brokenness, sad. And, and they're telling me, and, and we, we never want to think badly. We don't want people to think badly of us. And so almost always in, in, in our conversation, there'll come a point where they'll be telling me this stuff. We'll be talking about it. We'll be praying about it. We'll be looking at scriptures and they'll, they'll say, you know, but, but I'm not a bad person, you know, and I, I'm, I'm really a good person. And, and my husband is really a good person. I know, I know I just told you all this stuff about him, but he's really a good person. And, and we have this awkward moment and I go ahead and do it because I just feel like there's a theological need to do it. I say, no, you're not. 
And, and at first they're like, all right, I'm leaving. You know, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm not either, you know. I'm not a good person. I, I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Left to myself, I will mess it all up. Every bit of it. You leave me alone. You take me even away from my Christian brothers and away from the word of God and away from prayer. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to tank. I'm, I'm not a good person. None of us are. You don't believe me. So here's the Bible. Ready? Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. On and on it goes. What's the point here? The point is, we desperately need to depend on Jesus. Do you see that? We desperately, constantly, we've got to be coming to Christ. So that his life is flowing through us. So that we do good deeds. So that we bear fruit. So that we, we live righteously. So that we're tools of the Holy Spirit to bless our family and bless our kids. And stay married and, and, and do righteous works. And man, we, we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, see, when, when you start thinking, I'm a good guy. I'm really a good guy. You know, you know what happens then? I, mean, I don't need to read my Bible every day. I don't, I don't need to pray every day. I mean, whenever I get around to it, and church is kind of optional. And, you know, because I'm really a good guy. I'm going to handle this thing myself. Good luck. It's, it's a risk, man. I'm telling you. I, I don't think it's going to turn out. It would not turn out well for me. Here's what Paul said about himself. Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody else identify with that? Or just me? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability. Great resolutions. We, we, are, we are good at that. Really weak when it comes to follow through, except when we are plugged in. To the Spirit of God. And so what is Paul telling us? Believers, believers depend on Jesus. They live in a state of dependence. They live in a state of looking to Christ, depending on Christ, seeking Christ, pursuing Christ. Paul goes on to list all of his accomplishments. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up here next week. But verse 4, <coughs> he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as the zeal, persecuted the church, as the righteous under the law, blameless. <coughs> you know what he's saying there? And he'll go on to say this next week. All that stuff's worthless. You know, you're from a good family. You, uh, you live in America. You live in the heartland of America. In my mind, you live in one of the best places to live in America. Yeah. Maybe you got degrees. Maybe you went to a Christian school. Maybe you went to a Bible college. Maybe you have been in Sunday school for 35 years. Maybe you, I, I don't know. But here, here's what Paul's saying. Means nothing. I don't boast in that. My righteousness is in Jesus alone. My boast is in Christ. I'm dependent completely upon him. If I could, let me, let me switch that around. Okay, this is the last thing. I know we're out of time. Let me switch that around. Here's, here's the other thing that bothers me is I, I, I know lots of people who don't boast in that stuff. They're not like walking around being like, you know, I'm from this family and I got this degree. And I, you know, there are some of those folks. But you know what I find a lot of people? A lot of people walk around like this. A lot of Christians 
Okay? Christians walk around like, well, I don't, I don't, my family's you know, not very good, and I was a foster kid, and, you know, and uh, I, you know, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and pastor, if you knew the stuff I'd done, you know, you wouldn't like me, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, we don't boast in that. You get, you get it? It works the other way, too. That's not who our identity is, okay? If you're, if you're a Rockefeller or if you're a Dirks, doesn't matter, okay? I mean, either one. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're at the bottom. It doesn't matter if you're at the top. Christ equalizes everything. Do you hear that, church? Okay? If you're here today and you got this complex about you, like that I, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks and I, you know, I'm, God doesn't really love me because of all the bad things. Man, if you're a believer, you got Christ's righteousness. That's, that's the only value. Put your hope in him. Okay, we're out of time. Um, man, church, we got to live right here. We got to live right here, right here in the gospel. Okay, this we just talked about today. We got to live right here. Okay, focusing completely upon Christ-centered, Jesus Christ, what he did for us in the gospel. That's our only hope. That's what it means to be a believer. Let's pray. God, I ask you, God, to stir up in us just genuine worship. God, I pray that we would see the marks of a believer in our hearts, that we would uh, we would be caught up in how awesome Jesus is and that we would trust him and that we would depend on him and seek him and love him. And, God, that our life would just revolve around Christ. Lord, make that happen in us. God, forgive us when we... We find our identity in other things. Forgive us, God, when we don't brag on you and we're indifferent to you. God, we ask, God, your forgiveness. We confess that as sin. And we pray, God, that you would stir us up, God, today for you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.